Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life. I wanted to start adding stuff into this because I know everyone skips it. And I just want, wanted to screw them up as they're skipping through. Are they, wait. Wait, did they, did they just they say something? Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you and you too. Hello, Todd. Hello, Mark. You know, I was I was talking to Nick the other day and, and uh, I, I asked him to rate my listening skills okay and he said you're an eight on a scale of ten so i peed on the bones that he had (laughs) and i'm still not sure why he asked me to urinate on a skeleton that boo didn't go on long enough for that (laughs) (laughs) That one. <laughs> well, welcome to another episode of the Mark and Todd cast. Two weeks in a row Boom. we hit this this wow. month. So uh, welcome, Mark. Hi. Um, boy, I don't even know how to start a show anymore. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I was so distracted by... Um, I played this right before we started. Uh, the Mexican city of Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> that Lou Dobbs uh, uh, plowing through some... <laughs> foreign sounded name <laughs> oh, oh that makes me laugh every time um well before we get into some news last week and i don't think it was on the show i think i showed you afterwards but uh i found at the bins a player piano a, a reel of, of oh, the yeah, player yeah. piano music and we right. were looking at that and yeah i showed the kids this week and i i just showed it to them and i unrolled it so they can see that and i asked them what do you think this is for and they each were both, there was a 17-year-old and then I asked the 12-year-old and they were each kind of able to suss out, it looks like maybe notes or, neither of them said Guitar Hero, which I thought they would go to right, right. away because that's literally it what looks it looks like, old-timey Guitar Hero. <laughs> but I'd asked you, it had occurred to me that I had kind of figured player pianos worked on the same principles, like a music box where it like something plucks a, a thing or whatever. And then I was trying to translate these, these really thin holes in this, in this not right. too thick paper, how that has enough, uh, enough force to, to plunge the, the, um, so I, I went to YouTube of course, and looked up some cool player piano videos and, uh, you had explained it for the most part. Um, but it doesn't work by forcing air. It works by sucking air. Oh, so it oh sucks God. air through a little engine that that spins. And um, there's the the long grid kind of a harmonica, harmonica. type exactly type uh, holes that the paper covers until the hole comes up, which allows air to be sucked through that one little key pipe to plunge the thing and to, but it was just, I mean, it's a fascinating piece of yeah. mechanics and it could be added to any piano because it's an, an add on piece. So you can still play the, play the piano like regular, but it was just really interesting technology. We grew up with an upright grand that had the mechanics removed. Oh, from interesting. It. And so it still had the little knobs and things. So you could slide open this compartment on the front that then had like, pitch and they like you could adjust the air pressure oh interesting to adjust the speed yeah uh not the pitch uh because those are just plucked yeah. on but the the speed of, of yeah, yeah 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 it was and but it so was, i was treated like a rocket ship and that was my control yeah we had stuff. there was a um 
Uh, I think I mentioned this before in the show, but we uh, had friends that had a, a little vacation cabin in, in Arrowhead, California, ah, and Arrowhead. they had an old player piano in there that me and my brother would made just tons of tons of different songs. And so we'd always, you know, put the scrolls on and pump the things and just a fascinating piece of technology. Um, but I did have uh, a, a recommendation for this week of something that's kind of unrelated to things that we usually talk about as I'm playing with <laughs> playing with this cool slime that your mom got you that's not quite slime it's a it's called it's lab clear, putty clear clear lab putty it's so yeah fun. it's the consistency i guess of, of silly putty i guess but it's like completely clear which is interesting but that's not that that's that's not the recommendation <laughs> the recommendation is a comic book uh, actually and i'm not a huge comic book fan i mean i i collected some batman comics when i was in uh, in high school and stuff like that. And I enjoy the superhero movies, but like I'm not a, a huge Marvel or DC fan. But um, David Walker, who is a local uh, comic book writer and, and writer of actually a bunch of different things and patron saint of Portland at the movies, since he has all of the inside knowledge to almost everything that was made in this town in the in the 80s and 90s. Um, but he has be, he just finished up a six-issue run for DC Comics called Naomi, which is the introduction of a brand new character that's now, I think, going to go off into the DC world and like be this like super powerful, like whatever. I haven't read the last issue yet because it just came out, so I'm saving it. But um, it takes place in the Pacific Northwest in Port Oswego, and it's about <laughs> this um, this uh, b- uh, black girl that was adopted living in this mostly white community, and she's trying to find her identity and kind of stumbles into this whole you know superhero type thing um, that she's on her journey of, of discovery. And it's it's a great entry point because like right now, if you get into comics, they've been going for seventy years. It's like trying to watch days of our lives right. like without knowing anything it's always yeah. kind of a frustrating yeah. like well how do i get into this thing that like i don't know anything about but this is like a brand new like basically you have to know that superman exists because like in the in the first issue she's just walking around port Oswego, and and it has what else did it have oh it has a plaid pantry makes an appearance yes. in it they go to the plaid pantry which is pretty great. Uh, him, uh, David Walker wrote it, and Brian Michael Bendis, who is a really big name in in uh, comics. And um, I forget the the artist's name is Jamal something, but I can't remember. But it's just a beautifully illustrated book too. Um, but in the first issue, they're walking around, and like Superman crashes into their town, like fighting some gigantic monster or whatever, and then flies away. And now, so the whole town is talking about that that instance. But it's it's you get in from ground zero, and I think it's um, going to lead now into into kind of the rest of the DC universe. But it's it's really good, called Naomi. So they should have plenty of copies because it went back. They were not predicting that it would be so so successful. So the first. First printings ran out, but now there's uh, there should be plenty available. So oh, fun. Go to your local comic book store and pick that up. Um, so we, you chatted with David Walker? Um, I haven't talked to him lately. I, I talked to him when this last that last issue came out and huh. talked about passion flowers, of all things, because he's always taking pictures of this passion flower that grows around his house. And let, so every summer, he's just like me, where every day <laughs> it's pictures of bees on passion flowers. <laughs> nice. Um but yeah, he's a great guy, and one of these days we'll have him on Portland at the movies Absolutely. when he is not completely booked for the next nine years doing important things for big companies. So Nice. Um, oh, we have a question. We're not going to talk with uh, Brian Lee and Piper today because he is too busy. 
Um, but he will be at the what is it called? Brew Brewfest. Brew Portland Brewfest. Portland Brewfest. Um, there will be a booth there probably for uh, Portland. I'm guessing Portland. Weird Portland United. Yeah. Um, so come visit him. I think I'm going to be there Wednesday afternoon. Um, I don't know how long it goes. I think probably Wednesday through the weekend. I think so. I've never been to a Brewfest before, yeah. so I don't years. know. I'll be at the booth. So if you're there, stop by and say hi. But he did just. Uh, he uh, just messaged us a question. And actually. so I was going to read this, but then I oh. started reading it and I'm like, you know, he, he literally said something about Mark. Uh, like what is it? Okay. So he said, uh, I know I could just Google this, but where's the fun in that when I can hear Mark try to try and answer. Okay, <laughs> right. Nice. And so it, instead of me Googling, I stopped right there. Oh, okay. And so I do not know what the question is. Oh, okay. Okay. And then so, I have not read it either, actually. So cool. he says, uh, statistically, it must be possible for siblings, not twins, siblings born to the same parents to have the same genetics, uh, identical twins born years apart. So that would be, is that, I guess the first part, is that statistically possible? You know? Sure. Improbable. Yes. Yes. But, okay. Yeah. So do we think this has ever happened? That's a great, great question. And it, um, the it, number of genes, um, you, you would, it would be like two to the power of, um, so like, for example, if you, uh, it's not exactly comparable, but if you shuffle a deck of cards, there's only one, uh, the, the number of possible combinations of 52 cards outnumbers the number of atoms in the observable universe. <laughs> <laughs> and so is that the kind of probability where you do like you have like say 20 numbers and you're trying to figure out, is that where you go like 20 times yeah, 19 it's times 18 52 times factorial. 17. Okay. 52 factorial. So it's 52 times 51 times 50. Okay. Times I don't know why that's like the only thing I remember from <laughs> all of my math. Right. Uh, and so this will be a uh, binary equation. So you have to know the number of total genes that are selected from either the mom or the dad. And each one is going to have a, you've got uh, recessive and dominant genes and uh, boy, um, the number is going to be astronomical and I'll figure out what that number is. All right. And, and so, so statistically and it's, it's possible, possible, but improbable. And probably yeah. we've never seen it because like <clears throat> right. who would go like, that would be a weird test to, to go have happened. Right. Unless somebody other scientists was like asking that same question and trying right. to figure it out. So, Anyway, well, you can you can I'll work on that answer and I'll dive into some news. So there was a story that I won't get super into, but uh, it is the Portland police chief suggests banning masks at protests. So whether or not you live uh, in Portland, you probably hear about us on the news all the time because there are constant conflicts between um, a group on the right called the Proud Boys and a group on the left called Antifa or Antifa or I don't know what they call themselves. Um, and they're always getting in fights on the street of Portland for some reason because they can't figure out that if they just ignore each other, they will both go away because they don't have the attention that they seek. But they're trying to figure out everybody um, has their opinions about how the police is being unfair one way or another. I haven't really gotten into it. Um, but one of the possible answers they're talking about is uh, maybe uh, banning masks, which um, is usually what the uh, what an, uh, Antifa I can't say that out loud, like, and feel serious about myself. This is, 
this is like truly a a battle a battle of 4chan in real life <laughs> i feel like um but anyway so whether or not i don't know i don't even care enough to to weigh in on what goes on there i would i would just suggest ignoring it and if you're hearing about it in media of some sort it's probably wrong what you're getting anyway so there's that uh, moving along vw beetle goes extinct after the last one rolls off the assembly line so they are no longer going to be making the vw beetle wow. so originally it was a project under hitler to pr- uh, project nazi prestige and it really came alive after world war ii by 1955 the one millionth beetle had rolled off the assembly line in what's now the town of wolfsburg the u.s became volkswagen's most important foreign market peaking at 563,000 cars in 1968 or 40 percent of their production um so they had uh, stopped making it before and of course in 2000 or in 1998 excuse me they did the new beetle which is the new design that's been around for a while. There's been a couple little redesigns, including a uh, 2012 one. Um, the last of the 5,961 final edition versions is headed for a museum after ceremonies in Puebla. Puebla? That doesn't sound like a German name. <laughs> Puebla. <laughs> New Mexico? Maybe new, they make them in New, new Mexico. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Puebla. I barely knew her. I need one with an English accent. <laughs> um, so anyway, say goodbye to the Beatle for a while. I'm sure in 10 or 15 years they will bring it back once again. Um, so this is a story that's similar to a lot of the ones we had before, so I won't get super into it. But this last week was another story where Google says its workers are listening and transcribing your Google Assistant commands. Um, of course, it's a, a very small amount, and they say they're doing it so they can make the search queries better. But uh, just another thing to be aware of as we all kind of transition into this whole internet of things with speaking devices attached to everything else in your house and your doorbells and all of that making one easy point to bring you to your knees (laughs) one easy break point that will crush us all instead of spreading out the risk (laughs) so everyone good luck with that um the the odds are about uh, they're less than one in 70 trillion. Okay. Uh, and so... Um, so you're saying there's a chance. There is a chance. Number of humans <laughs> on Earth is, what, three billion? Oh, seven. Seven billion. Seven point seven billion. So, so... Um, yeah, it's, I believe it's doubled, about doubled in the last 50 years. Yeah, so if you take... That seems sustainable. So if we take <laughs> that number uh, times 10 gives us... 70 billion why times 10 because then we multiply by a thousand to get uh 70 trillion so uh we would need to be about uh about 10,000 more earths full of people okay and that could happen maybe once (laughs) okay nice I wish there was a better way to try to comprehend big numbers like that because I think so much so much of our awe is lost in not like being able to comprehend like bigness or vastness or I I get uh, I've now learned how many like 2 billion is because I've been to Shanghai Disneyland <laughs> and they were all there <laughs> they were all there The lines are so friggin' long. Uh, oh, that's so funny. 
Uh, moving on, the FTC reportedly hits Facebook with a record five billion dollar settlement. Dropping the hat, which is yeah, really nothing uh, for them. But the penalty comes after an investigation that lasted over a year and marks the largest in the agency's history by an order of magnitude. If approved, uh, it will be the first substantive punishment for Facebook in the United States, where the tech industry has gone largely unregulated. Uh, the FTC opened its investigation uh, last March, one week after news broke that Cambridge Analytica. What was I just listening to? I think it was one of the weird VHS tapes that I found. They and talked I about Cambridge swear it mentioned Cambridge Analytica. What? And it was like from the 80s or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, what will ever happen to this plucky company or whatever? No. I forget what it was now, but I thought that was strange. Did you find another, um, you, you said you found another promo video for that uh, apartment? The, uh, Del Webb, some city, <laughs> Las Vegas. Yes. At Sutherland. Oh, yes. So th- is there another Del Webb? There is another well, Del Webb. So to back up, to, uh, people have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, we do uh, a show on uh, YouTube called Binsworthy, where we go find weird things at the at the Goodwill outlet uh, bins. And for one of the uh, trial run-throughs to see if it, it was a concept that worked, we, we taped a show and your... Your submission was a VHS t- uh, tape for a retirement community called Del Webb's Sun City, Las Vegas, at Sutherland. It was amazing. It was amazing. It had a theme song at the end that incorporated all of those words. But I was uh, at the bins last week, and there was another Del Webb's Sun City, and I forget what state it was like. Clackamas, or Clackamas, but it was. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I wondered if it had the same song, which is different. The different city at the end. So there's a lot of Dell Webs out there. Mm. A lot of them. Old Dell. (laughs) Good old Dell. Um, but back to Cambridge Analytica, they're the uh, political consulting firm that worked with the uh, Trump 2016 campaign and had improperly obtained information on tens of millions of Facebook users. Uh, they bought those from an academic, it says, who used a personality profiling app to collect information, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but in 2011, Facebook had promised the FTC that it would not share that data with third parties without consent, uh, which, of course, they just immediately did anyway. So. Um, all of that as we're kind of trying to get a handle on how to control basically this power that right. has been unleashed, which um, I think it was probably on the Not Nerd podcast, but maybe it was a, a digital trends one that they were talking about. Now data is the most valuable thing commodity. on earth, the value, totally. most valuable commodity. So uh, make sure all those microphones are on <laughs> so that we make money Testing. for other people. One, <laughs> so... Uh, Oh, back to Vancouver, um, and actually our friend Sarah Kidd, uh, Brian the Unipiper's wife, uh, posted a picture of her at the rare stinky corpse flower that's about to bloom in Vancouver. I saw that. Yes, I, so if, you're a, if you've been um, just kind of a, a consumer of media or kind of a fan of, of how the media works over the last 20, 25 years, you'll notice stories that are called evergreen which are stories that are kind of always applicable. If it's a slow news day, you can talk about potholes or you can, uh, you know, do these things. And the Drudge Report will always have them. He'll always have, you know, 25 cameras per citizen in Europe or whatever. Like all these things always comes up. Uh, He always has hell storms, which are pretty funny. (laughs) Um, But one of them is this corpse flower. And it's this gigantic, like 10 foot tall. It looks like the bloom of like a hibiscus, maybe kind of rolled up. 
Um, and the thing about it is that it uh, it blooms like once every 15 to 20 to 25 years. And so like at first I was like, how are we having these stories every summer <laughs> if this thing only blooms? But there's like, of course, a bunch all over the world. Right. Um, so now that evergreen story comes to the evergreen state. <laughs> well played. In Vancouver. That was a Nate Vancouver, Washington. Uh, America's uh, Vancouver. Segue there. America's Vancouver. So the rare corpse plant found in Indonesia's rainforest and transported as a seed 17 years ago to WSU Vancouver will finally flower. And you're invited to hold your nose and get up close. And I'm kind of disappointed that I don't have plans to go to go see this, but maybe maybe I'll change those plans one of these days because I've always been curious. So the scent of the flower has been compared to smelly socks a rotting car- uh, carcass or worse which is why it's called the corpse flower uh, dung beetles flesh flies and other carnivorous insects that eat dead flesh are attracted to the odor um, and it has <laughs> the best name and it, it, its original Greek name is the amorphal phallus titanium <laughs> my high school nickname <laughs> exactly uh, and this one is affectionately named the uh, Titan Vancouver um, so you can watch the plant live via webcam at youtube.com slash WSU Vancouver. I've got the window open now. Uh, there's some gawkers, uh, staring at the flower. Um, they've got a big measuring tape behind it and two nice WSU flags for, for ad- advertisements for the college. Um, so they're hoping at sometime at the end of July or at the beginning of August and the smell could last 24 to 48 hours. Um, so the plants grow naturally in the limestone hills of Sumatra. They bloom after seven to 10 years and then once every four years over an expected 40 year lifespan. So the corpse flower Amorphophallus titanium set to bloom in America's Vancouver. Uh, and so one last story this also sent from Brian, the Uno Piper. Uh, scientists just unveiled the first ever photo of quantum entanglement. So an incredible first scientists have captured the first photo of quantum uh, entanglement, a phenomenon so strange. Einstein famously described it as a spooky Spooky action action at a distance. distance. Nice. Well done. The fuzzy gray image. It kind of looks like um, everyone's picture of the eclipse sort of, (laughs) or like the cover of the movie, the ring. Um, so or a it's a picture of the sun from you know 1700s <laughs> right uh, so it's the first time we've seen particle interaction that underpins the strange science of quantum mechanics and forms the basis of uh, quantum computing so quantum entanglement occurs let's see if we can keep this straight it occurs when two particles become inextricably linked and whatever one happens Wait, and whatever happens to one immediately happens to the other, regardless of how far apart they are. So hence the spooky action at a strange. Ooh, so that's like when one twin gets hurt and the other one on the other side of the country. A light year away. A light year. <laughs> it's like this time. Remember the Time Life books? Um, there were the series of books like in the 80s where it was like UFOs was, or yeah, strange yeah, yeah, yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And it was always like Karen... Karen Smith was at her kitchen in Lombok, New Jersey, when suddenly there was a pain in her shoulder. <laughs> 2,000 miles away, her twin sister Mary had been punched shot. and has been shot by whatever. Um, so that is quantum entanglement. Uh, the particular photo shows entanglement between two photons, two particles of light. They're interacting for a brief moment, sharing physical states. So basically, the physicists, to take this picture, split the entangled photons up 
and ran one beam through a liquid crystal material known as barium borate, triggering, triggering four-phase transitions. At the same time, they captured photos of the entanglement pair going through the same phase transitions, even though it hadn't passed through the liquid crystal. So I don't know what all that means or whatever. But They split one up, they did some stuff to one, and they watched the same thing happen to the other one. Oh, okay. Okay. Crazy. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. So interesting, interesting as we unveil more of that world. And speaking of that quantum entanglement world that will just blow your mind, stay tuned next week for Portland at the Movies as we cover What the Bleep Do We Know? The most mind blowing docu something. I watched it last night and I realized that there was a point <laughs> where for about five minutes I had been holding kind of my head in my hands and my jaw was just open not because it was like blowing my mind but just trying to hold your mind out like never before in a movie that we've done have i have i done the how did this get made (laughs) what is this movie so be sure it's been a kind of a long-running joke for portland movies and Thanks to Marley Matlin's uh, Hear No Evil, which is the movie we did last month. Um, we decided to, to go with the second Marley Matlin. A lot of really great uh, Portland Portland locations, Fantastic though, lo- as locations, was yeah. uh, her last one. If you didn't listen to the last episode uh, for the 1993's Hear No Evil, probably had the best Portland locales and shooting yep. that we've, we've ever seen. So, And one included uh, right in front of the office that you and I met at. Yes, there is an extended scene um, in, in What the Bleep Do We Know that takes place at the basketball courts directly in front of where like, both of our like offices tw- were. 20 feet away yeah, from so us. I, yeah, so were you, that was 2003. Were you I had working just there? Left. Okay, I had just left. I was trying to remember the timeline because I think I left in two. I left in, left. in quotes. Left. <laughs> I went to spend more time with my family, uh, <laughs> as they say, in 2002, I think. And so I, I don't remember it being filmed there, but I remember it being a big. Is that a big deal anywhere other than? I feel like there's a lot of name recognition, but I don't know if that's just because it was filmed here, and I've heard that from people here. It it was huge in a niche community, right? In yeah. The, so in the, the woo woo comu- in the woo woo community, it is heralded as in the uh, in the Oprah spirituality yeah. s- uh, slice of Wh- America, which I you know I used to be yes. uh, a prophet. Of. Some of us had goth phases. <laughs> Mark had the. Metaphysics, metaphysics uh, phase. Yep. So yes, that'll be next week. So um, do look forward to that. Um, before we get to the the mysterious, bum, bum, bum. the mysterious subject that I'm still don't know about, which I'm excited about. Let's talk a little bit about Sonic Sketches real quick. So Sonic Sketches let you display your favorite song as a beautiful as a beautiful piece of visual art. They're really cool framed pictures of the sound waves of your favorite song or your uh, favorite sound bite. If you wanted to get, I barely knew her as the <laughs> all squared off, <laughs> oddly enough, as the waveform. Uh, you can get one that's three 12 by 12 next uh, next to each other to make one's whole song, or you can get an eight by 24 that's on uh, brushed polish and aluminum, which looks really neat. And they each come with a little write up about the uh, song or, or sound that you select that you uh, chose and a little display guide and uh, something that display or that uh, explains how sound wave works. So go visit Sonic Sketches. Uh, check them out. They're really neat. They make a really interesting and really uh, personalized gift for someone that likes uh, interesting direction uh, directions. Um, 
What's the story? Oh, decorations. That's decorations. the word I'm trying to think of. So check them out, sonicsketches.com, and you can have free shipping anywhere in the U.S. if you use the promo code MarkTodd. So go check them out, support the show, um, and let's find out now what Mark has to say for us. So while I was in China, I, I saw the bicycles there for rent like they have here, and the bicycles there, most of them, have airless tires. They have uh, tires that uh, have for lack of a better description holes drilled horizontally through the tire okay so that you if you look at the tire from the side you're looking at a mesh of holes okay. so that the rubber squishes down and there's no tube there's no air there's no getting flat you know right. and, and so they don't have to manage uh the tires on the bicycles and, and it turns out that those Tires can go like 50,000 miles. It's and, funny and that you're just, even so. talking about this because I was thinking about that kind of tire <laughs> yesterday as I was, as I do, I right. guess. Um, and wondering like when that technology is going to get, you're thinking it's all futuristic, but it sounds like. It's here. And is that old technology for them? Like have they had it a while? If, if it's already widely adopted, it seems like it must have been so, around for a while. So no flat <laughs> tires uh, actually were first. Um, brought to the public in 1958 oh, um and it's like finding out the first car they ever built was an electric car <laughs> 1934 was when they were first invented uh not exactly like this uh the the n uh, run flat tires is what they're called were invented for the military and uh for armored vehicles mm -hmm. and so uh the run flat tires basically have extra uh, ribbing to hold the tire together if it goes flat and uh, it adds about 20 to 30 percent of weight onto the tire so it's less efficient right uh, it can only go about 50 miles under 50 miles an hour once it's been flattened uh, and so that's not exactly the same technology the um, <clears throat> so what we're going to talk about today is tires and nice. um, in doing so I went down a rabbit hole of the rubber industry. Cool. Uh, and before it was really, it, Wait, it was the, being used for tires. What the, industry? The tire industry? No, the the rubber industry. I barely knew her. Yeah, and so, um, <clears throat> which has an incredibly sordid past that I had no idea. Wow, about. it's like the sugar industry. It's like the sugar industry or the diamond industry, yeah. uh, really kind of from the same place, the Congo. Yeah. And, um, and so let, let's let's talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. rubber and tires. So uh, rubber, when do you think uh, rubber first really became of any functional use? Now, I, I will ask if I can, can. May I use a clarifying question? Yes. Are we talking about vulcanized rubber no. or rubber? OK, rubber. so rubber. I do know rubber is a tree. So yes. it is was probably put in use probably as medicine of some sort first. But I would say as like a building material um i don't know 100 ad uh they have it tracing back to 1400 bc oh wow uh, and so there was a tribe in uh in south america oh shoot it in uh oh there was there was a tribe that <laughs> oh no it was aztec uh aztec oh, tribe. Okay. uh so south america uh that tribe started at about 1400 bc and uh was around for a long long time uh uh many hundreds of years 
uh, they used rubber to make rubber balls that were used in a game. Oh, fun. And so started. <laughs> that way started they didn't have to use severed heads anymore. <laughs> I mean, they still do, do wood and did, they would. but they didn't they have to. became so expensive. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and synthetic rubber has really only been around, I have this number here too. And so that was just, they were using however rubber comes out of a tree. I'm not sure how that even yeah. works it's probably just yes. the bark synthetic like rubber a cork tree 1930s rubber. yeah ex- more like a maple tree uh and so um they carve a wedge into the bark and that causes the latex to drip out of the tree oh, and okay. so latex is it like weeps is, it weeps out and so they wick that down into a bin and collect that and they can process the latex and remove the water from it and press it and make rubber but the but natural rubber in its in its own state is not very strong uh it cracks when it gets cold it cracks oh, it, it yeah. melts when it gets hot and it's really not great for industrial purposes and so it was um mr goodyear who um he was obsessed and spent five years, his life's fortune, you know, all of his life savings. Uh, he was uh, slated to go to debtor's prison because he had no money left. Wow. Uh, and Do they he, still have debtor's prison? <clears throat> uh, no. Uh, he, no, they don't. Huh. Like, Edgefield just used to be... The <laughs> right, Edgefield... They're called did, homeless people now. <laughs> exactly. Uh uh, That's right. Edgefield did Edgefield, used to be a dead, not a debtor's uh, prison, a farm but, but of some a sort? debtor's farm, a so workers' if, farm. Yeah. Maybe. So if you were down on your luck and had no more money, you could go out to Edgefield and sit in their hot tub. <laughs> 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 I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, um, so um, so rubber uh, and and um, Goodyear. That was eighteen ninety eight. When basically he, as the rumor goes, and he was obsessed with the single idea that rubber will be a transformational material for the world. And he he just was trying to figure it out. And so it wasn't, there's evidence, like the colloquial story goes, that he accidentally mixed it with sulfur and then it landed on his stove and accidentally became vulcanized. Right. You always hear that as the biggest example of like accidental invention. Right. And and there's uh, there's an idea that one of the tests that he had done is just to slather rubber with this sulfur paste and that made it slightly stronger. <laughs> and so there's there's evidence for that, and then and then people he was trying to sell to were like that's stupid, and so he's like yeah, and he threw it towards the the the, the fireplace at the guy at the yeah oh, oh at, at the fireplace at the fireplace out there the way, and then he went to retrieve it, and it had become vulcanized. Okay, to be, and so that's plausible, but he was obsessed with this idea for for more than five years. And I want to give him a little more credit than than that accidentally. Um, And so whatever happened, he heated sulfur plus rubber and became vulcanized rubber, which 
has all all of those negative properties are now gone. So it no longer cracks when it's cold. It's really malleable, retains its shape and form, and is super. Uh, it has a, a big amount of strength right. uh, to it, and and is manageable. And so they use different materials. Uh, they once they had that, uh, they would mix. Was he zinc. doing? Was he doing this? Speci- like I know he was kind of obsessed with the idea, but did he have an end game of like I want to use this for tires, or was it just like he knew that it would be uh, like he was was it, yeah it was he was obsessed with the idea that this this material was so flexible and looked like it could be like it just needed strength added to right. it, and then it could be used for, for everything for everything right. And so uh, there were uh, like tires made from rubber rubber that were solid but they just had no durability they would literally melt when it got too hot and and just be really tacky and and so they they just weren't useful at at that point and uh, so this vulcanization process uh, sulfur was the first one and then once they figured out oh we can mix this and heat it and it causes these other properties they found out that other materials do different things so zinc makes it strong and using a carbon makes it black but uh, isn't um, is a little more expensive than the zinc um, white wall tires for example the tire is made from uh, the original version yeah, of the yeah, white yeah, walls, yeah. not the, uh, the pin, remake. The pinstripe right. or whatever. And so the white wall tires happened because the white rubber was zinc plus rubber, which had uh, some decent properties but was really affordable. Yeah. And if you added carbon into the rubber and vulcanized it, then you got this really, really strong material that you would use for the tread. Right. So they had the white tire oh, flanked by I a black tread. I had I just it. always thought that was just aesthetic. I, I thought so too. No, it was actually the white wall tires were different material. White tires that had black tread added onto them. Huh. Yeah, and uh, and so the tread was really strong. I saw this demonstration in a video of a guy with white rubber made with zinc and the black rubber and he basically put the each of the tires on a drill and then put it onto sandpaper and the white just melts oh, and wow. becomes slag <laughs> uh basically and it was totally useless and the black uh it crumbled a little bit but it definitely didn't melt and it had just much better properties for grip and didn't become a slag against the yeah. uh and so the <clears throat> The rise of the use of tires in the 1930s for racing really uh, pushed the boundaries of, of innovation in how can we make these stronger. It's interesting. Uh, this was one of, I was thinking about this last week too, uh, that show How We Got to Now, that yeah. PBS series that I love and how each one of these giant technologies like glass or rubber or air conditioning was almost immediately put to use for kind of human entertainment Yeah, and how that pushes technology as well as like, it's just strictly a useful thing or whatever. It's like entertainment for humans comes out of all of these gigantic totally uh, technologies. So, uh, so let's step back just a little bit into the 1800s. 
Um, I wish I had a (laughs) stepping back in time noise, but I don't. So the 1800s. (laughs) That's the wrong kind of noise. No, not really. Oh, maybe. Okay, well, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it really goes, uh, everything goes really south in the 1860s. Uh, so what? What? I'm um, because so good, good year was in what year? So he's good, not until the 1900s. Uh, so interesting thing. So uh, Goodyear Tire Company, I thought was founded by Goodyear. Uh, Goodyear Tires came a hundred years after Goodyear. Wow! So he vulcanized rubber a uh, hundred years before the uh, thing he would the be, thing wow he would be known for kind of like tesla today if yeah you think about it. that's true so um so goodyear vulcanized rubber in uh 1839 okay and then uh the the goodyear tire company started in 1898 okay so another 60 years ish uh, right. uh after okay so <clears throat> back in the 1800s 1800s uh so in 1865 in belgium King Leopold II becomes king. His father, King Leopold, um, had tried to colonize on on more than on ten occasions. He tried to colonize another country, and uh, in order to be any significant country in Europe, like Britain or Germany or, or France, you needed to colonize someone, right, <laughs> and, and to. And it's like the first day at prison. Re- you have to take the biggest guy down to get totally. respect. And Belgium was you know, low man on the totem pole and not getting any respect and wanted to colonize. Always so. shoved into that Benelux <laughs> totally. so word for us to learn. King <laughs> Leopold and... II, he devises a plan and he hires a dude called Henry Morgan Stanley. Ooh. And uh, he, he sends Stanley down to the Congo and Stanley performs a series basically of parlor tricks for chiefs of tribes to to demonstrate that white men are superior and are gods. And so he would do things like he had a mechanical thing uh, attached to his arm. He that did he the would... thing where you you put your thumb together <laughs> and then <laughs> it looks like the thumb is coming apart. So he would uh, he would shake <laughs> the chief's hand with this mechanical extension and basically break their hand because of his oh, sure powerful strength. strength. Right? And then he would do this thing where he gave one of the tribal members his gun and then he would have him shoot the gun at him which was only filled with with powder, powder. and no no basically material. a blank he would then keel over and act like he's been shot uh he would heal himself <laughs> and then take off his shoe and take the bullet out of his shoe and show that we are impervious to bullets and by the way a missed opportunity to not do the thing where it's in your teeth <laughs> Penn and Teller, uh, you know, perfected that, <laughs> that trick years later. Jesus, uh, oh, like so so he got the tribal leaders. I, although to be fair, the one thing you are leaving out is that they did bring culture. <laughs> no, it gets worse. So uh, so he gets these documents signed by these chieftains of the the tribes, and shows the other members of uh, Europe that we have an agreement with the chiefs that we will own 
the Congo, right? And so, uh, total jackass move in every way. So no, they they said it was cool. They totally said it, was cool. said it was cool. Awesome. I got there so, exactly. And so, um, the Congo at the time had the had tons of natural resources uh, that they didn't yet know about: diamonds, gold, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, copper mines. Um, <clears throat> but the obvious resource that they had was tons and tons of trees uh, making rubber and so rubber was a huge commodity in the 1860s because of bicycles the Mm. the advent of the bicycle had needed these uh tires to be made and so they need so there was a a shortage of rubber and so now king leopold ii had uh, uh lots of rubber available uh, his problem well, was convenient. labor. And so how are you going to get... How do you solve a... How do you if solve If only labor? there was a way. So he There's en- got to be a better way. He enslaved the nation of, of Congo. And uh, in order to hold them accountable for doing things and to f- force them into labor, um, they, he started a... Uh, a group called Force Publique, and the Force Publique were uh, basically his henchmen that would force quotas of rubber to be produced. And if you didn't produce enough, uh, you would have your hand lopped off. And he Jeez would Louise. collect either uh, he would accept either rubber or hands as um, payment for their existence within his colony that he now owned. Um, more than a million Congolese were killed Uh, uh, many more were maimed uh, during that period Uh, there in his um, in his home back in Belgium he created a Congolese zoo of humans and so he brought 297 humans from Congo and put them into a live action village in uh, Belgium where he would have them live outside and it was fenced around and you could come and feed uh, the uh, the Congolese. And so he would give them peanuts and, and bananas. And yeah. and so the... I know everyone can't see my expression. Like I'm just <laughs> sitting here like this isn't a big deal. But <laughs> this... I'm going to look at their waffles a whole lot differently now. So, um, and so King Leopold II... He never stepped foot on the African nation. He um, enslaved the nation of Congo for his purposes, uh, uh, forced a a genocide uh, to harness as much rubber as possible at the same time, absolutely denigrating the humans that live there and the the population. And and it was um, in... 1958 at the Belgium uh, World's Fair, they reproduced uh, the Congo Human Zoo, uh, and and they they didn't call it the Human Zoo, but they they had a tribe uh, living at the exposition. World's Fair at the expo, uh, and and so there's kind of a famous photo of like a white lady interacting with a little little African boy and or girl uh, and it was Jeez. It, it it was it should have been shocking 
1958. And it not should have used been... <laughs> in their advertisement to get people to come. Right, right. So, so there's a, a really heavy history with Belgium and the Congo and rubber, uh, and their education process has also been uh, a, a roller coaster of trying to hide things, right. exposing things, not people not believing things, uh, old, really old people who are kind of uh, still part of the colonial uh, mindset. mindset. Manifest destiny. <clears throat> right. Got to break. You want manifest ex- uh, destiny, you got to break a few eggs, I believe is how the expression yeah. goes. Um, so candy, some of the candy being given to the zoo uh, uh Children, children uh, cause them to get sick, and so they instituted a sort of "don't feed the animals" oh sign. My gosh. Um, seven of them that uh, in that season, seven of them died of pneumonia and exposure because they were just forced to live outside in Belgium, uh, and it, it it's just atrocities across the board. And so this is in the 1890s, and um, it and yeah, it, so. King Leopold II uh, still is held in high regard in Belgium and has like golden statues. I'm sure he around. built a nice, a nice, uh, a nice country for himself. <laughs> nice country, nice country uh, got up there, right? And so, their <laughs> diamond trade, their their amount of connection into African natural resources, and and uh, the benefits of that really stem from King Leopold II. Wow, uh, and uh, man. Uh, crazy um we talked about vulcanization uh zinc tread mixed rubber uh dupont created the first synthetic rubber in 1931 and so today most of the tires that we use are synthetic although not all the the good tires that you have for aircraft and for for more higher end buses and everything have rubber it's it has better qualities than real, rubber in real rubber real oh, rubber interesting it. so vulcanized rubber still trumps uh synthetic rubbers that try to do the same thing interesting uh, which I, yeah. I think is fascinating yeah they have more they still can elasticity improve uh, on the, nature i know yeah um uh the run flat tires tend to be heavier poor uh poor at being uh, shock. Most of the shock absorption from in your vehicle comes from your tires, not huh. from the shocks. Interesting. And so, whenever you cause more <coughs> more rigidity in your tire, for like the run flat tires, uh, that has significant experience um, effect as just don't have as soft of a, of a mm. ride so okay. like if you go in the presidential motorcade they have run run flat tires of course uh so they can be punctured and yeah and they can still go uh not a super smooth ride in the presidential limo right uh, as because i'm sure everyone's heard about tires. that exactly um i wish i know they can't do it but I would just love like a look into just the technology of the presidential vehicle because I'm sure it's just so mind blowing. Yeah, at least I would hope it would be. Yeah, um, there's a bit like four of thi- four uh, foot thick doors that swing out and <laughs> totally. The um, there's a really good section of the book 
Becoming by Michelle Obama. Mm. Uh, she is on the tarmac, um, and they uh, it was her, her first day of being wow. first lady, and she was told by the Secret Service agent, all right, get ready for the show. And uh, they're like, all right, 10, 9, and then the presidential motorcade comes around the corner and uh, at the airport, uh-huh. and... It's an enormous caravan of incredibly uh, intimidating, intimidating vehicles. vehicles for for exactly that reason. Yeah, as you want to establish dominance, dominance and presence. Uh, <laughs> but there's you know rocket launchers and and anti uh, deterrence for this and uh, uh, the president's blood on board. Uh, the, oh wow! Uh, the uh, there its own enclosed oxygen set so you could have a total bio air attack and wow. uh, the motorcade would go through you know just that is all the so things. And she cool. just describes the experience of it arriving for the first time it's a really really great section of a fantastic book so Interesting. i totally recommend that well i hear she wants to feed poor children not crap food so she's a socialist so i no longer <laughs> read what she says uh yeah uh, radial tires were um, first invented in 1949. Uh, really came into and those uh, are radial tires have it? belts of steel okay. and and other things uh, intermixed as, as weaved into okay. the rubber to give it extra strength. Right, right. So now um, seems like a, a not very accurate name. Yeah, uh, radial was about. Um, they they did just have steel belted. Oh yeah, I was going to ask if that was a different. Is, and that's a different. So radial is uh, woven. Yeah, it's it's got a different weave to it and is able to have strength in different directions okay. that uh, straight um, uh, belted yeah, yeah, don't. Yeah. And um, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. That's what I was watching. I was watching a little documentary on Tacoma's narrow uh, Tacoma Narrows Bridge, and. Cambridge Analytica is came what? up in that like what? it was like some sort of I don't know when they were figuring out what kind of bridge or what I don't know helping plan or something and it, it could be that it was a different one but Had that's what it was I don't huh. know why that just came back to me huh. uh. <laughs> I was listening <laughs> uh-huh um so steel belt steel belted yeah, yeah. so kind of the future of tires um basically you're always looking for better performance um, and uh, less natural resources Mm -hmm. consumed. And so with the emphasis on lack of uh, dependence on petroleum and this whole rubber tree industry and rubber trees take a long time to grow and are very labor intensive to extract rubber from. Mm -hmm. And so you have to cut into each tree on a daily basis. Uh, you it takes six to seven years to go from an infant tree to one that is Producing able to enough. produce rubber and and you don't get a lot of rubber from each tree and so it's very labor intensive and very uh, natural resource intensive and so there's another plant uh, that they're uh, doing a lot with over the last 20 years called uh, Weyuli and uh, it's G-U-A-Y-A-L-E so it looks like Gua Yale. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, uh, while, while Yuli and, um, 
It grows faster. It's like shrub. Uh, it has very similar properties to rubber, and they're able to synthesize a, a product that's very similar to rubber with um, much less natural resource mm. cost and, and everything. So uh, look for more uh, Waluli uh, tires coming out. And uh, I think like those bicycle tires, there's there's a couple companies making airless bicycle tires right now. And, and their reviews are mostly like it's really great from the from the standpoint of they require no maintenance and right. you could have a nail puncture it and you it's don't fine. even know about it. and <clears throat> but the quality of the ride, ride. is diminished yeah. and um, the weight of the tire is usually just a little bit heavier yeah. and so there's there's trade-offs uh, with it uh, but they're still viable and you can do a quick search on run flat um well, I always air, see really neat concept bicycles. art for when when those will happen for uh, regular vehicles too. All yeah. the different types of that was <clears> reminding <throat> me of like either the big kinetic sculptures or like the mine sweepers that are just like the big ball with the plungers it's, or whatever. Yeah, that kind so of. so the ball one I I looked at uh, as a concept vehicle uh, idea for tires. Basically, their their concept is a metallic ball covered in tread uh an entire sphere and um there are magnets in that the wheel well pushing against that steel ball oh interesting right and so it's floating over this tire and there's a lot of really powerful implications if you could get that to work you because you're no longer limited to an axle direction <coughs> you can go in 360 degrees and uh, you could change your shock amount based on how much magnetic uh, energy you are using so how much electricity you're using to right. force that and uh, it, there, and there's a lot of um, innovation around well the tread changes its texture based on different materials that you glide over because we force more or less air or uh, plunge into and and reshape the tread as we're going over water versus sand right. or whatever uh, so there's there's innovations coming up that um, may or may not be realized in our day-to-day yeah, yeah it doesn't seem like i feel like it's if you would look into a popular mechanics from like the 50s totally. for the ver- version of the future where it's like well no but yeah but like rubber tires filled with air yeah is still kind of the fundamental piece that still works yeah and that uh for uh an interesting aspect so uh dunlop uh dr dunlop was <laughs> the one who invented the pneumatic tire so before 1888 tires were solid rubber oh and so your bicycle had a solid rubber tire on it right and so your penny farthing <laughs> your penny farthing had a 600 had a pound wheel on the front <laughs> totally and so dr dunlop was a veterinarian veterinary surgeon and his boy who was like 10 years old got a bicycle and he was like 
chipping his tooth uh, <laughs> going down the cobblestone, uh, you know, road. <laughs> and, and so he's like, this, there's, there's got to be, be a, a better, better way. way. And so <laughs> as a veterinary veterinary surgeon, he had sheets of rubber in his lab to protect the tables that surgery would take place on. Mm-hmm. And so he fashioned, he took uh, strips of rubber, coiled it into a tube, sewed it together, sealed it with liquid rubber, and then put it around the rim and then took um, cloth and uh, wrapped that around there and then sealed it again with more liquid rubber. And um, he made the first air-based tire for his son in 1888. And Dr. Dunlop. Dr. Dunlop, a good man. That's amazing. So, so yeah, uh, that's how the pneumatic tire was uh, invented. Wow. Yeah. What a great story. Lots of tire stuff. Lots of tire stuff. Yeah, it is fascinating how, like, uh, all of this technology and the the Mark and Todd cast of 100 years from now or whatever will be talking about the exploitation of resources for these new cell phones that uh, just in the same way. So always brings a little bit of perspective to the things that we now take for take for granted. What you won't take for granted is the Mark and Todd cast, hopefully. <laughs> um like I said, next week we're going to do Portland at the movies. So if you would like to watch the movie ahead of time, it's what the bleep do we know? Um, and we'll be after that. I'm going to be on a cruise. So mm-hmm. I will I will miss two Sundays this time. Um, so that's at the beginning of August. And um, so we'll we'll go from there and you're going to be in and out of China. So we'll we'll figure stuff out. Uh, but we'll let you know when we do have a new show up. In the meantime, Fun Employment Radio does a show every day. So you can go over there and listen to them. Join the Supporters Club if you want to listen to live and get some other perks that they do. They do some fun live shows, too, and, and get-togethers for cornhole and for bingo and all that. That's really fun. So I totally forgot about something. So keep keep talking about Fun Employment Radio for one minute. Oh, uh, um, but I'm all out of things to talk about. They did talk about their... Um, their Bigfoot cruise uh, on the Portland Spirit that was about seven or eight hours down the Columbia Gorge, and you go under all the bridges and you make all these stops, and you apparently had they had one of the hosts of one of the Bigfoot, I think Finding Bigfoot or whatever was like okay, the the coming. okay the MC or moderator of of the trip, and so he was there, and they got honorary a cryptozoologist. Uh, degrees i don't like i don't i doubt there's a ooh you just pulled out a a a bottle of sprite fiber it's sprite high, fiber plus. High, high fiber sprite interesting oh <laughs> so, my gosh this is what colin means because he doesn't like to take his fiber <laughs> so china is going through that phase that we went through a while back where High fiber means healthy. Right. And so this is healthy Sprite. Healthy Sprite. Just the, the beverage from the Coca-Cola company. Right. With extra fiber added. So it gives 30% wow. of your daily fiber. And 900% of your sugar. But there is fiber in it. <laughs> there is fiber So do in they it. come in all of the Coca-Cola flavors? Nope, just just Sprite. Sprite. Have it's, you had this before? I have not. Okay. So I wonder if it's like a specific taste that somehow wrecked the taste profile of the other flavors sparkling and clear just like usual now you can't hear the bubbles on the microphone 
So it, it, it is clear. There's no fibery looking. No, yeah, it's not cloudy at all. It tastes exactly like Sprite. There is no. Yeah. Tastes like Sprite. No other real taste. I wonder what they use for fiber. Too bad we can't read the label. Hmm. High fiber Sprite. There you have it. So, wow. What is this? Oh, 30% of fiber. This must be on the package. Must be. Sprite Fiber Plus. Wow. That is really neat. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you all for listening to the Mark and Todd guest. Don't forget to go to uh, YouTube.com to watch the WSU Vancouver Titan Vancouver Corpse Flower Bloom, hopefully in the next couple weeks, or go there yourself. Um, other than that, what should I play? Let's see. Oh, I'll play some player piano music uh, on the way out. So we will talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening. Okay, we'll now show you how to play Boogie Woogie. Okay, I did not know he was going to. <laughs> player piano. I'll pump those pedals with my feet, and away we go. Hold on. Thanks to the Don Irwin channel for this.